Hello, my name is Mohammad Faridi. I'm Iranian. I was born in city of Tehran in, into a devout Muslim family. In 1984, where, when I was born, the country of Iran and Iraq was in war. That was an eight-year long war days for our countries. Many of Muslims willingly gave their life up for the, for the cause of jihad, for, to defend Islam or advance it. And uh, my uncle, two of my cousin, they joined that war willingly and gave their lives up for the cause of Islam. My mom was a devout Muslim and uh, she mandated us to, um, to follow Islam and to fulfill the Sharia of Islam. Even though we speak Farsi in the country of Iran, we had to learn Arabic in order to speak to the God of Islam. That is the only language accepted by Allah, the God of Islam. And uh, I went to mosque and to a lot of um, madrasas, to a lot of Quran classes to learn Arabic and to learn how to recite the Quran and how to memorize the verses, the passages, sometimes chapters of the Quran in order to pray to Allah. They told us a good Muslim, if he recites and memorizes the Quran, he would not burn in hell because your brain, your body will have the eternal, eternal word of Allah in it so it would not be burned in hell. So that's what, that's what I did. So I started memorizing a lot of the chapters. One day I was praying to Allah and at the time of my prayer, when I was seven and eight years old, and uh, I was pr praying in Arabic and uh, reciting those prayers, but I did not understand what I was saying. So I went to my mom and asked her, Mom, does, uh, is this God, the God of Islam, would not speak Farsi? Does he understand Farsi? Can I speak to him in Farsi? My mom said, you do, not, you do not want to be tormented by Allah. You do not be tortured by Allah. A good Muslim only surrenders, only submits. So I went and, I, and, I, and from that moment on, I did not ask any more questions. I just put my blinder on and just followed Islam. And um, I washed myself every day, f prayed five times a day before dawn till uh, after dusk, I prayed five times a day to Allah and recite those pray prayers that I did not understand what I was saying, but out of fear, I just prayed and prayed. During the month of Ramadan, I fasted 30 days. You do not eat or drink during the whole day. That's again before dawn till after dusk. Sometimes during the summertime, it's about 14 hours long. It was hard, but we did it because uh, as a Muslim, we do not know what is gonna happen to us at the day of judgment. Allah will hold a scale, and in that scale, the, he, he put the good deeds on the right hand, the bad deeds on the left hand. And uh, I tried, with this ritual, I tried to score good deeds, so that I have more good deeds, but I never knew how much of this would be enough. And as Shia Muslim, we mourn ritually in anniversary of the death of our Imams. The men get together in a room, they dim the light, someone recites a eulogy, provokes the crowd to beat themselves, weep and cry. That's how we're gaining points and how we self-punish ourselves that maybe one of these Imams intercede for us at the Day of Judgment. But we are not sure, assured of this, but this is not a guarantee. So we beat ourselves on our chest, we beat so much ourselves in our, in our chest that we bruise and we bled. We beat ourselves with chains on our back and with swords into our head. And uh, we shed our own blood. And this 
way of uh, sanctification, we, this is the way of sacrificing ourselves and shedding our blood to score points in order that we may be grant, uh, granted the Jannah, the paradise of Islam at the end, but there's, you don't know. One day I was in a shrine in the city of Mashhad and I was praying, but my prayers weren't answered. I went to this Muslim scholar and I asked him, sir, how much more of this do I need? Why, why my prayers are not answered? And he told me, son, you're not worthy enough. You need to do more. And I asked him, how much more? He said, that's up to Allah. We do not know. After I finished high school, um, I joined the Revolutionary Army of Iran. At age 19, they took the devout Muslim soldiers to, a, uh, to join us to a movement that was called Path of Light. During this time, they took us to the war zone between the two countries of Iran and Iraq. And there, um, uh, in the place that tens of thousands of Iranians gave their life up willingly in jihad to defend Islam, to defend their country and advance Islam. There, we, I reunited my spirit with the spirit of martyrdom and also to fight the fear of death, to fight the fear of dying for Allah, they put us in empty tombs and grave during night. It was pitch dark and it was very quiet and it put us in those empty tombs for us to fight that fear. It was a scary moment, but that's how we, they prepared us for the ultimate cause and the ultimate sacrifice for Islam. When I left the army, I had one dream, that we, I get the opportunity to fight for Islam and die in jihad. Um, and Allah may, um, may will for me that our country fight against Israel or America, that I can join that war. I remember during the month of Muharram, one of those months that uh, we go and beat ourselves and self-punish ourselves nine days in a row, every evening for two to three hours, I beat myself so much on my chest and on my back with chains that I, on the 10th day, I was so broken and I was so bruised that I could not get out and go beat myself more. And on the 10th day, I was ashamed of myself. I said, this is the least asked of me and I cannot fulfill that. When I um, uh, finished the revolutionary me with that dream, I was um, in a lot of despair, a lot of depression, and um, I was hopeless. And the only hope I had to die I, tr I, 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 I contemplated on suicide. I thought I, I'm gonna get rid of myself, but I was afraid because if as a Muslim you commit suicide, you end up in hell. I was living in hell in this world. And I thought to myself, if I kill myself, I will be in hell for eternity. And I was desperate. I was really desperate. And one day I called a friend of mine and uh, we, we grew up since age six. Ironically, his name is Rasul, means the apostle. And uh, that day he came to me and we talked about uh, uh, how, how is his life doing? What is, his doing? what is he doing? And I felt something is really different about him. He was so calm, so peaceful. And I asked him, Rasul, what is going on with you? What is happening to you? And he told me that he became a Christian. And when he told me that, I said, what is that? Can you become a Christian? That was the first time I was hearing about Christianity without bad-mouthing it or without saying that it's corrupted and it's altered, that it's bad thing. And um, he was telling me about the uh, love of God. He was telling me about Jesus and the miracles happen in their life and the things that happen uh, into their lives, the miracles and the good things. And uh, 
we talked about two hours. Many of those stuff I didn't he- I didn't even hear. I mean, what was going over my head, and we argued and we discussed. And uh, I tried to counter his arguments and the, the things what he was telling me. The God I was talking to him about it, it was an unknown God. I did not know what I was talking. I was just echoing what I learned from my parents, from my ge- grandparents, and from what I learned in mosque. And I was echoing that. But the God, he was the God that he was talking about. It was like a friend of him. He knew what he was talking about. After two, about two hours of conversation, he was kind of wore out and said, "Look, you asked. I told you. And this is the last thing I'm gonna tell you. Jesus, he was beaten. He was bruised." He was crucified. He, he was, uh, his blood was shed, and he was. Um, he died for your sin that you have everlasting life. When he told me that sentence, he said, "God so loved you that he has given his only begotten Son for you and for your sin. That you have everlasting life. That you have eternal life." When he told me that, every lie that Islam till that moment was telling me, was exposed in front of my eyes. I was beating myself, I was bruising myself, I was cutting myself, I was shedding my own blood, and ultimately I, would be, I was going to become the sacrifice for Islam. He told me it was all done in what Jesus has done for you. When he told me that, this message pierced my heart and I fell down on my knees, and out of desperation, I asked him to pray for me. I said, I want that, I, I want that. And he prayed for me, and when I opened my eyes, everything in the world got a new color. Everything, everything that was a shade of gray, everything was black. It, it, it got colors. I could see colors. I could smell. Something within me came alive. There was something in me that always bothered me. It was always restless. For the first time in my life, came to the peace, came to calm. And I told him what has happened. He said, Jesus has came to my life. I did not understand what, it was, what he said and what, what is the meaning of that, but I was enjoying the moment because for the first time as a Muslim, I felt peace in my life. As, as the conversation ended, but he, he told me he has to go. As I, was, as I was walking home, I was thinking to myself, if Jesus has died for me, why nobody has told me? If somebody has done a great thing for you, why they kept it away? Why they, why they are not telling me that? Probably there's something wrong or this guy is telling me a lie. So I went on a journey of finding out, finding out about if this actually happened to me. So a couple of weeks later, me and him, we went to visit a church. And as soon as I walked uh, through the gates to go to the sanctuary, I had an encounter with the God of this universe. Something like a cloud came around me and gave me a hug. And within me, my, within myself, two times I heard, you're home, you're home. It was so tangible. I looked around myself. I said, what has happened to me? I could not feel my weight. I was so weightless. I was so peaceful. And the church services started, and they start clapping hands and uh, celebrating and, and, and rejoicing and playing music. It was really strange to me. It was really odd. For the first time, I was in a... Uh, uh, ceremony that the people did not mourn, weep, and cry, and beat ourselves, and cut themselves, and bruise, our, bruise themselves. They were actually clapping hands and rejoicing. They were, they were having a hope that they was, it was missing in Islam. And that was the hope that they, they knew 
after they die, what's going to happen to them? When we, where we Muslims, we did not know about that. We did not know what is going to happen to, to that. So we mourned and wept and we were afraid of the future. But the Christians, they knew what is going to happen to them, so they were rejoicing. There was a hope about resurrection that they had that we didn't have. All of our Imams, all of our prophets died and they stayed dead. But Jesus died, but he was resurrected in the third day. So they had a hope that we were, mi we were missing it in Islam. And after the church service, my friend out of his pocket bought me a New Testament in Farsi. He said, this is the living word of God written for you and for my life. I said, I don't understand what are you saying, but I want to know if Jesus has died for me. So I took the book home and I started reading it. And the more I read the Gospels, or the, mo the more I read it, the more I got connected to it. And I came to this verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. Come to me who all labor, who are weary, and who are, who are having heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle, for I am humble. And I looked at the book, I said, how did you know I was weary? How did you know I was heavy laden? How did you know that? It's impossible. It, the book was talking to me, to my situation, like never before, like not, nev nothing else. I, I thought some. I thought to myself, I be, this cannot be right. Somebody has walking around writing this book about me and my situation. And I said, there is something wrong. Something is going on. And I thought I've been manipulated. I think I've been controlled. And when the next time I went to the church, I looked at people's book to see if their Bibles is a personal Bible or everybody has a personal Bible. And I looked in, but it was the same. And I asked him, is this verse talking to you like this? And they'd, they'd show me the other verse that talked to them. And um, when the next time I was in a church, this time uh, a gentleman came and shared his testimony of how he was healed of cancer. And he, had, he was a Muslim. Uh, the doctors rejected him. And he was going home uh, to die. They said, there's no hope for you. We cannot do anything for you. And this gentleman in the church was sharing his testimony that um, he was going home, he see the cross over this church, and he comes in it, and there's uh, some Christians in the yard, and he asked them, God, guys, can I give your God a try? I'm gonna go, go die. So this, they gather around him, they lay hand on him, and as they pray, he sees a hand with a print of nail touch his neck. And he goes home, he doesn't, he's not dying. He's getting it better, so he goes to the doctor, and there, uh, when they run a checkup for him, they say that uh, you're totally cancer-free and we have never seen such a thing, not like that. And as he is sharing this testimony in the church where I was in there, I thought, I, 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 I thought to myself, I have read that in my, bi my Bible, you will lay hand on the sick and they shall recover. And I said, this, this is actually happening. This God, this God, what he says, he's actually happening today. So that day I came to a conclusion for my investigation and for the second time I I gave my life to Jesus and I said, I'm not looking no more for any other things. So uh, I became a Christian and I was excited about it. I was going to home to tell my parents and my friends about it, but I committed a sin that is unforgivable in Islam. And that's the sin of shirk, the sin of apostasy. I tried to keep it quiet, but after a while, my parents understood about it. My dad got really violent, kicked me out of the house, beat me and kicked me out of the house. and. I was out of my house for four months. Two times my life was threatened. Once by my cousins, they realized I'm a Christian and they told me you betrayed Islam and you will pay for it.
And uh, I started working, at, when my dad cut the su financial support, I started working for a taxi agency. I put my New Testament in dashboard. I drove my taxi in Tehran and different cities. And whoever of the passengers I had asked about, what is that book, what is it saying? I, I got the opportunity to share with them about Jesus. The owner of the taxi agency once came to me and told me the people already have reported you and if the government gets their hand on you, not that they only hurt you, they will hurt your family. I was afraid for my life, but I was much more afraid for my family's life because they haven't, they're, they're still Muslim and they haven't do anything. It was all on me. So I tried to, uh, the taxi agency owner tried to protect me, so he fired me. And I thought to myself, I may need to go to a different city from Tehran. I may go to Isfahan, maybe to Shiraz. But this is in 2008 and 9, and uh, the government at that time put the underground church to a national security. The government passed a law and said the Christians are stealing the soldier, uh, the Muslim soldiers out of the Army of Islam and we have to abolish the Christian and underground movement of ch church in Iran. So they put tre tremendous pressure under the church, uh, on, on the, onto the church and underground church and many of the friends I had, many believers, they were arrested, they were going to jails and uh, when I called them and I uh, maybe their parents or somebody answered the phone, they said, please don't come around here. We have enough problems on our own. So at that time, I decided to leave the country. So I, I left everything behind, my family, my friends, all of my belongings, I left them behind. Took a duffel bag with a little amount of money. I, took, I bought a, a bus ticket from the country of Iran to Turkey. And I moved out of, uh, I left Iran and I escaped Iran and I made it to Turkey. I was in Istanbul, Turkey. I was looking for a smuggler to be smuggled from Turkey to Greece, and from Greece I would be uh, making it to the Western Europe. But uh, that, would, that would cost a lot more than what I had in my pocket. And I, when, I, when I start looking for uh, job opportunities, they told me you cannot work on the visa you have here. And um, I asked them, what, what should I do? They told me, just go back to Iran, and I told the people, I cannot go back to my country or my life is in danger. And they told me, if you're truthful about what you're saying, there is an office here that they can help you with the, with the situation you're in. So I fought with the uh, Commissioner of Refugees of the United Nations. And after three years of interrogations, they finally accepted my case and sent me to America. I landed here in June of 2012. I came to America, not um, uh, not for better opportunity, not for um, uh, f f make a better life, just for safety and for freedom. And here in America, I founded a ministry called Destination Ministry. And the purpose of our ministry is to help people like me that they are converting or they need to um, minister to Muslims, to reach out to Muslims that they come uh, from, from the bondage of Islam and cross to the kingdom of light. So the purpose of our ministry is to uh, help Americans, help the churches, help the brothers and sisters to love on Muslims and preach, them, preach to them the only hope, the only good message of the gospel that they can see the light. Thank you for watching. This was my uh, life story. My name is Muhammad Faridi from Destination Ministries. God bless you.